This is 400 Plus. I'm Mark Sims. My guest is Rhea Ray Harris. She is a criminal justice professional. How are you, Rhea Ray Harris? Hi, I'm fine. How are you? Uh, great. Thank you uh, for coming on. Thank you. so. I'm doing fine. Thank you so much on the show. I do have, I mean, you say how I'm doing. I got this little cold I'm trying to get rid of because I went out, I took a shower, went out there in this cold weather. That was like a week ago. Oh. Like an idiot. My mama would say, you're going to get pneumonia in the tail. Yep. <laughs> and I know better, but I did it anyway. And man, Ooh. it's been rough, 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 rough. That's the last time I do that. And so, Ray Ray Harris, you are a criminal justice professional. So you can answer all these questions. And my first one is, can nonviolent offenders be reformed? The simple answer is yes. The more complicated answer is it takes a little bit more than just them being nonviolent, because even violent offenders in some cases can be reformed. We have to look at why. Why are these people considered offenders anyway? What is going on in their reality that they wound up in the system? Is it a lack of education? Is it a lack of employment? Is it a systemic issue where they just can't seem to break out of the box that they're in, that their parents are in, that their grandparents were in? What is it that creates an offender? And once you figure that out, is that person even interested in being something else? Because what people sometimes don't want to admit is that there are people out here that are comfortable doing what they do and being who they are. And some of those people are criminals. For those that are not criminally minded consistently, there may be some circumstances that have put them in this position. For example, if I cannot feed my child, I am going to steal peanut butter and a loaf of bread from the grocery store. Does that mean that I'm criminally minded? No, it means I'm desperate. So it depends on what's really going on. A lot of it also is environmental. If you are in a particular community, for example, and there are certain standards, and you move from a, a rougher side of town, let's just call it that, you have a choice. Either you're going to continue to operate the way you've been operating in the rough side of town, or you're going to attempt to assimilate into this new community where things are handled a little bit differently, a little bit less harshly. I have a friend whose son was in Chicago. That's where she's from. And it seemed like every time he stepped out the door, the police were on him. He had a crowd that he ran with. And they had a reputation. He moved to the Georgia state area and has not been in trouble in 10 years. He had to get out of the environment and away from the people with whom he was previously associating who were criminally minded and get somewhere where people were operating in a more positive level. And that changed his behavior. People said, well, you need to be able to think on your own, et cetera, et cetera. That's easy to say. But a lot of people are 
followers or peripheral people, you know, the hangers on. I'm just, I'm not a gang banger, but I know a whole lot of them. Not realizing that that reality makes you look like you're a gang banger and you pay the price for that. So, like I said, the simple answer is yes. But the more complicated answer is you have to know that person's mindset, that person's desires, and are there systems in place to help that person achieve a change if that's exactly what that person wants to do. See, Rhea Ray Harris, I brought you to the show because you're real. If I brought a politician on, some policy person, they would give me the BS. And I'm tired of the BS. Everybody be, they'll protest that, you know, white racism and American racism and and the man's got us. We understand about racism because black folks have been here for 40 years on the racism. We understand that. But I don't see enough of these organizations talking about how can we develop uh, better people or like you said, for some people, they need to move. They need to get out of that those toxic, toxic environment. Other ones, uh, it's going to take some behavior change. And I'm not a behavior change professional, but there are people out there like that. So have you seen in, as a as a as a. Uh, as a criminal justice professional, have you seen the transformation for men and women, but especially men, have you seen that transformation where you saw a young man or older man or whatever, and they like, man, they are just hard of a criminal, <laughs> but you saw the transformation, you saw the change and they say, Hey, I ain't doing this no more. I have seen clients that have at some point said, I'm tired of this, I'm tired of going back and forth to jail back and forth to prison, on and off probation, on and off parole. I'm tired of this. And they made a conscious decision to not always move away, but typically move out of the neighborhood in which they were always associated. Because part of it is once the police get familiar with you and something happens in the neighborhood, they always look for you. That is real because the best predictor people say of current and future behavior is your past behavior. But that mentality also does not allow someone to change. So some of them will move not too far because a lot of people's comfort zones is pretty regulated by where they stay, but far enough that they're not dealing with the same beat cops, the same situation like that. And they do have to kind of cut off some of the people that they used to deal with they do have to, like, not visit family so much. They do have to make those types of decisions and changes. Some of them will go back to school, get a trade. That's not a trade that they have to get in the union because the union, you know, poses a whole different set of problems, especially if you have a criminal background. And some of them become legitimate entrepreneurs. People laugh, but those gentlemen that really learned the drug game, had they had a different set of circumstances would have been Fortune 500 company CEO level. But they weren't in that environment. They did not have that support system. They didn't have the know-how. They didn't have a mentor to guide them to that. So you can see that transformation, but it has to start internally first. It has to be that decision that this is not the life I want for myself. And we as a community have to rethink how this is going to happen. Things don't happen overnight. We can't expect someone who was raised in a criminal environment 
and I'm just using that term loosely. We know at time they break it down, we will one day, to all of a sudden not be criminally inclined because that's their normal. But we don't want to look at the generations that it took for people to get there and the time it's going to take for people to get out. We have to attempt to go literally one, two people at a time. Can I positively assist one or two people at a time? Can I show them that I care enough to, hey, let me help you get a suit for a job interview back in the day? Hey, let me help you by paying for you to take those classes where they teach you interviewing skills. Hey, I have a friend that has a a, a business that they manage. Let me get you an interview there and get you a leg up. We have to invest in people other than those that live under our roof if we expect to have that kind of compassion. Something I used to say, and unfortunately I see it coming to, to light, this was when my son was younger and had just started high school, and I was seeing a lot of young men operating from a really violent perspective. And people were just, lock them up, lock them up, lock them up. I said, you know what? The child you don't help today is going to be the one to up a gun in your face tomorrow. And that's where we are now. The children that we wrote off and didn't care about, and that's not my problem, that's not my kid. Well, now that kid is your problem. Uh, I can't disagree with that at all. Uh, there are, uh, Rhea Ray Harris, there are a lot of people, and I should say, what I mean a lot of people, you know what I mean. There are groups that are making big money. They get money from the, whatever, city or state, and they have these crime prevention programs. There was one that it was, it was a successful program. It sounds really good, but it was like $2,900 or thirty. It was maybe like almost like $30,000 per person to transform a life which is, I don't know, in the long run, that might be a bargain. But I, I contend, I'm going far afield or low, down the field here. <laughs> Every criminal went through the public schools, and we understand what the public schools is all about. So they come out of school or uh, barely come out of school, not reading the right, reading low, reading below grade level, blah, 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 no skills and all that kind of stuff. Then all these other social services make money off that dysfunction. So it, do they really want to change the whole system? Because everybody's making money off of criminals, if you will. But no one seems to really be solving the problem. Do, do I, do, am I making some kind of sense? Oh, yes. Just like I went to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and almost every entity down there got paid because of the college students and their families. The same is true of a town that has a prison. Be very clear. Everything in that town Every industry of that town almost is connected to the prison and the people that come to visit the people imprisoned. So criminality is definitely sustaining whole communities throughout this country. And there is very little motivation to honestly get to the root of the problem and make some significant changes. Like I said, I'm not going to sit here and tell anyone Oh, if you give all these people a chance, they're going to make it. They're going. To, some people are. Some people are cool with being robbers and dope boys and whatever else. But there are some people that, if shown a different way, and then not just shown on TV, but literally step by step shown how to get out of this circumstance and get into a better one, they would do it. 
But then what happens to those jobs that are connected to it? What happens to the prison guards? What happens to the police officers? What happens to the probation officers? What happens to all of that? So are there those people out here and those organizations that really want to change the game? Yes. But be very careful and very aware of what they really are about. Look at their numbers. If you had 500 people come through here, how many of them have not had any recidivism rate for five years? If they can only tell you out of 500, oh, well, we've had, you know, six that didn't go back. That program doesn't work. And they have not even attempted to reboot the program to make it work. They just wanted to get the federal dollars or whatever grant money so they can be paid by it. I I I, t- I totally this is my uh, we almost done a uh, few few more minutes. I, when you were talking, I think the, the phrase "defund the police" came up in my brain, and people mm-hmm. woo woo. And I'm not against the, the whole ideal of defunding the police. Woo woo woo, right? Woo, we got they they marching and hollering, but they don't. I want them to understand that we really should focus. And I I know when they say defund the police, some people are saying we need to make sure uh, Johnny or Raheem, if you will, Deshaun can read in third grade, okay, and in, in grammar school. We understand that. That's the big one for me, uh, be able to read and write and, and, uh, and coming up in school. And, of course, get somebody, get people trades, and get, you know, come out of high school with some skill, some kind of skill, because most people have to do some kind of post-secondary education. And so having the skill to do that because, uh, you know, it's blah, blah, blah. You understand how this works. So I, sure. I think that we're not really focusing how this works. And how to even move some of the money from some of these organizations. Like you said, you got the prisons and some of these organizations. I'm not to, I, I don't want to pull money out of their pocket <laughs> because they're making a living off of, off, off of criminality. We understand that. But trying to shift that money back to children. I mean, I mean, zero to K, I mean, uh, zero through five years old, okay? Those are the big years and then the, the grammar school years. And so we have to shift some of that money to prevention other than trying to help people on the back end, because it's, it's easier to uh, help children than to help grown men. Well, let me give you this story, and we may have to end it here. My mother taught in Woodlawn for decades. She taught some of the original Black Peacestone Rangers. That's how long ago she was teaching there. And I'll never forget what she told me. At that time, the majority of the teachers in her school were Black. And a whole lot of those black middle-class teachers hated those poor black children because they were poor and because they didn't have their hair combed and because they did not have always the clean clothes or the best-looking clothes. One of the things we have to, as a community, take responsibility for is the classism that exists with us. We can't say, oh, I've made it and therefore it's good. There are, for one of us that's made it, there are a hundred of us at least that did not. And if you don't want to help one of those 100, then you are a discredit and a disgrace to your own race. And that has nothing to do with any other population. That's us. And if you don't want to help these children like the people I've had conversations with, where there was a 10-year-old carjacker on the southeast side, they wanted him to do 30 years in prison. Those were black people that said that. And I'm telling them, if you think that a 10-year-old had the cognition on his own to pick up a gun and go out here and carjacking, 
then God help you too. But they weren't interested in saving him. They wanted him incarcerated for 30 years. Rhea Ray Harris, that's why I bring you on the show, because you're one of the few people in this town that are very real and, 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 and publicly very real. So thanks for being on the program. You are so welcome. I'll come anytime you need me.